0: Man, I am excited to be here with y'all this morning. My name's Raf. For those I haven't had the pleasure of getting to know yet, I want to echo what uh, Kim said off the top, just uh, coming back from men's retreat. I, I counted, I think, 11, 11 of us who were there, the 29 men on Saturday, in the room right now, which is um, 9 a.m. Come on, somebody. That's, that's, <laughs> if I, I'm not going to lie. I have to be here. If I was y'all, I'd be coming to the 11, okay? <laughs> getting a couple extra hours of sleep if, if possible. Um, but yeah, just uh, so excited for what, what God did and, and, and what he's going to continue to do, just believing and expecting. That was uh, kind of just a start, a flag in the stand moment for, for many of us that, that uh, is going to be a marker for, for some greater things to come in our families and in our church. And so uh, grateful for all of you who, who are praying us towards that. Um, thank you. God showed up and he did his thing. Uh, so we are in this series about work called 90,000. If you missed it last week, 90,000 is the number, uh, the average number of hours that a person spends working in their lifetime, okay? So, so let's, let's talk about work. Uh, last week, uh, you know, David kind of got me thinking uh, when he said, you know, usually when we meet someone, the first thing we ask them, what do you do, right? And it's like, oh man, it probably... Shouldn't ought to be that way, but it's so common, right? One of the other things I think we do a lot—I do a uh, lot—with—I did it this past weekend with with my kids, uh, with my nephew. Uh, I got to visit my sister, and and, uh, my nephew's nine years old. One of the first things I asked him—we're sitting down at dinner, man—what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I put this, you know, but—but his answer, man, it was funny. It struck me. He—he's like, I got all right. I got three things in this order, right? He's very specific. He's like, here's my plan. I'm gonna be a YouTuber. I was like, all right, cool. He's like, if that doesn't work out, I'm going to be a doctor. I said, all right, cool, doctor's backup plan. That's a great backup plan. He's like, number three, if that doesn't work, I'm going to be president. I was like, all right, president of the United States, number three on the list, and then doctor, YouTuber, number one. I was like, I love that you got a plan, buddy. I love it. I asked my son RJ the same thing. He says, I want to be 9 one what do you mean? You want to be 911? He says, we've been, this has been a running conversation for us. I'm trying to explain to him how 911 works. Cause we'll be, you know, at a red light and a fire truck goes by and he's like, is that 911 dad? I'm like, well, maybe like it's a fire truck, but if someone called 911, 9-1, 911 will call the fire. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Then we we'll see an ambulance. Is that 911? And they're like, same thing. So finally, I'm like, we got to role play, buddy. We're going to role play. All right. I'm going to be 911. You're going to call and pretend that you have an emergency. So he's like, ring, ring, ring. I'm like, 911, thank you for calling. What's your emergency? We walk through the whole thing. I do, like, fire. I do police. And someone broke in the house. I do, like, someone's hurt. We're going to send the ambulance. I'm like, you got it now? He's like, yeah, I got it now. I got it. So I'm like, so you can be, like, you know, Firefighter, or, or policeman, or you can be the nine one one operator, or you can be like, you know, ambulance, whatever it is. You know, you can be whatever you want. But I just want you to understand how it works in case you ever have to call nine one one. And he's like, okay, all right, I got it, Dad. And 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 not like three days later. So, man, what do you want to be when you grow up? Someone else is asking him this time. He's like, I want to be nine one one. Like, all right, we're working on it. We're working on it. My, uh, my oldest uh, daughter, Narai, she's, uh, she just turned 10 this month, actually. She's, she's dead set. She knows, and I have no doubt it's going to happen. She wants to be a writer. All right? She's already pretty, in my opinion, a pretty accomplished writer. She's, she's in uh, fourth grade. She just started writing poetry. She wrote this poem that uh, her teacher sent back to the house with like, all these, you know, how you get proud of your kid, all these great comments, great job, you have a talent for writing this and that. I read the poem, and it's about, it's about trees. Um, She's quite the little environmentalist, okay? But as I get down into the heart of the poem, what I realize is it's like a real-life story about us who just bought a new house and removed... 15 trees from our property because I was sick of all the leaves and, and all the everything. I was just like, I'm out of these trees. I want some grass to grow. And she was like heartbroken about it. She pours it out into this poem, like the tree hit the ground with the thud, and the life came out of it. And there's no more home for the bee, birds and the bees. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You're like subtweeting me in your poem to your teacher. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, but, but nonetheless, she's, she's going to be a writer, I have I have no doubt. Uh, and so I tell her, you know, look, that's great. I support you. I think you're going to be amazing. But you should know, you know, at least in the beginning, writers struggle a little bit. Like, not, you know, it takes a while before you start getting paid to write. You might have to write for free until people like get your stuff and you get good enough, and then, you know, you can make a living. So just, you know, just be prepared, you know, trying to set her up and, and, and to know what to expect. And she's like, yeah, yeah, fine, you know, no problem. But I just, again, in, in just thinking about this 90,000, thinking about David's message last week and preparing for this series, man, I realized that just even in these little innocent conversations with my kids, I'm reinforcing this cultural narrative that many of us have come to embrace, that the value of our work is ultimately defined by how much money we make. Or, or what our title is, or how high we climb on that ladder to success. And, and I just wanna ask the question, what if, what if that's not how it was meant to be? What if that's not how it was meant to be? What if the true measure of our work was never meant to be determined by, by the amount of money we earn, but instead by our overall contribution to the common good? There's a, a quote that I came across that I love. A guy by the name of uh, Wendell Berry wrote this. He said, the significance and ultimately the quality of the work we do is determined by our understanding of the story in which we are taking part. I'm gonna read that again. The significance and ultimately the quality of the work we do is determined by our understanding of the story in which we are taking part. If that's true, and I believe that it is, then the question for us as followers of Jesus in the room is this. What story are we taking part in? What story are you taking part in, and what will the quality and the significance of your work ultimately be? What will it truly be? Because the gospel, the incredible news—this is how we define the gospel here, relentless—the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus always brings forth a work that fosters human flourishing and and serves the common good— The gospel always serves the common good, and it brings forth human flourishing, and that is the story that we are a part of, that God has has adopted us into. We We are now his family, his sons, and his daughters. We've been made new, and so we need to understand and operate in the world as if this is our story. This is our story, and yet most Christians, regardless of what our job is, still struggle to connect our faith and our work on a daily basis. Right? That's the question David left us off with last week. Right, how does, my, how does my faith impact my work? How does my faith impact my work? How does the gospel affect every other area of my life? And what does the Bible say about work? So we'll, we'll start there. We're going to um, pick up, uh, review a little bit of kind of where we were last week and, and then kind of take it from where we left off. First point I want to make today is we were created with work in mind. We were created with work in mind. In in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we are introduced to a God who works. This is a creation story. The first time we meet God, he's working. He creates the, 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 the darkness and the light, and he separates the darkness from the light and creates the, the earth, and he puts vegetation on it, and he creates the water and, 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 and the mountains, and then he creates all the creatures in the sea and in the sky, and then the living creatures that walk on land, and then on the sixth day, he creates, he creates man, he creates humans, right? He, he makes us, and then on the seventh day, it says that he, that he rested, okay? So we are introduced in the beginning to a God who works, and then we as image bearers, okay, human beings who are created in the image of God, we are called to work. We're called to work. Again, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. To work it and to take care of it. God works. He, He creates us, okay, with work in mind. He calls us to work, and then he says that work is good. Remember that from last week? Work is good. Work is good. Not only is it good, but our work is also an important part of God's creation design and mandate. Again, what we just read in Genesis 2.15, Adam was to cultivate. He was to work and take care of the garden of Eden. That was part of God's plan. His overall plan is includes us as his workers. Okay? The defining difference between work and non-work, at least according to God, is not financial compensation. It's rest right? He works the six days and then he rests, okay? That's, um, we're going to talk a lot more about that later on in the series because it's, it's super important, um, but, but for now, I'm just going to tease that out. Today, what we're going to spend most of our time digging into is the work itself. What is work? What is work? Work is our particular contribution to God's good world and the common good of humanity, Work is our particular contribution to God's good world and the common good of humanity. And the reason that we work is because we are made in the image of God and created to contribute. We work because we are created in God's image and he made us to contribute. You were created with work in mind. And so our work, whether we are paid for it or not, is our human contribution to God's ongoing creation. Work is essential to who we are as humans, to our purpose in the world, and to God's great plan to redeem and restore the world. No matter who you are, no matter what your job is, whether you are paid or unpaid, no matter your age or your station in life, you have a contribution to make, and you have been called by God to make that contribution. So, again, just picking up where we left off last week, if work is good, and I believe that it is, and God says that it is. Why doesn't it always feel that way? If work is good, why does it, quite frankly, feel so bad sometimes? Why is it such a struggle sometimes? Why is it so stressful and frustrating and, 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 and come along with so much pain sometimes? As we saw in, in Genesis chapter one and two, God didn't design it to be that way. He didn't design work to be, uh, human work, to be frustrating or stressful. Work was never supposed to be a pain. In fact, God designed it to be the opposite. Work was supposed to be a pleasure, an exhilarating pleasure, something that brings you joy and satisfaction. That's how God designed it to be. But in Genesis chapter 3, because of what's known as the fall, when the first humans, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and decided to stop trusting him and instead go their own way, sin entered the world. And work itself was impacted by a curse. And from that moment on, we see sin's devastating effect on, on work. Okay, so, so what, what scripture teaches us is that in this fallen and broken world, God's original plan, his original design for work was corrupted by sin. And now work, my work, your work, whatever it may be, is not at all what it was supposed to be. Okay, so let's take a look at it. What exactly happened? How did that work out? Uh, Genesis chapter three, verse 17. To Adam, he said, this is God speaking to Adam. and to dust you will return. Man, I'm just, I'm struck every time I read that by the, the far-reaching consequences of that curse. Think about it for a minute. The very nature and the context of human work was fundamentally changed forever. Forever, in that moment. I just, read those, if you read those verses again, man, it, it will produce thorns and thistles for you by the, by the sweat of, of, your, of your brow, I can just, I can, as I read that, man, I can almost hear the intensity. I can feel the intensity of God's words transforming the entire landscape of work as it's placed under this heavy burden, this heavy weight that human beings, quite frankly, were not designed to bear. At least not originally. Work is now toilsome. Work is difficult. There will be thorns and thistles by the sweat of your brow. You will eat, but it's going to be hard and it's going to cost you something. This is a vivid picture of the far-reaching and the devastating consequences of rebellion. Our humans rebellion against a just, a good, and a holy God. Now there's alienation from God. We're separated from him. Now we're alienated from other human beings. And yes, we're alienated from work. Work itself. Not only has sin entered the world and corrupted God's design to make work harder, but it's also distorted our view and our understanding of work itself. Okay, here's some examples. Um, Three ways that the fall has distorted our work, our view of work, the way we see and experience work. Okay, three ways the fall has distorted our work. Number one, some work can be seen as more important than other work. Now, in this fallen world we live in, we look around, and we see some work as more important than, than other work. The best example I can think of in this is, is um, and this is, this is just true, I'm not trying to bring up bad or painful memories for anyone, but I think back to the pandemic in the beginning and the lockdown when we all had to stay in our houses, right, and the only people who were allowed to go to work were who? Essential workers, right? And, and now I am not disagreeing, or I don't want to have that argument, or who's essential, who's not. I don't care. The point is, first of all, I think we can all agree that, that the world would stop if some people stopped doing. What they needed to do right and so these emergency services and 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 nurses and doctors and hospitals and and the people who bring food and so so on and so on and who decides who's essential and who's not how to make that list i don't know my point is this okay we kind of agreed as a culture and we still see that today that that we view some work as more essential than other work we we see some work some jobs as more important than other jobs whatever your ranking system is that's fine i think we can all agree there is a system out there right we, we now see some work as more important than other work. That's fine for the world. That's fine for culture, okay, to do that. But according to God in his kingdom, as Christians, we need to understand that, that in, God's, in God's eyes, in his view, in his kingdom, we are all essential workers. We are all essential workers. There's another quote I love. This one's by a, a British woman named Dorothy Sayers. She said, the only Christian work is good work well done. The only Christian work is good work, well done. In other words, there is no higher calling in in, in Christianity when it comes to work and jobs. My work as a pastor is not more Christian than your work in whatever field you work in, wherever God has you, whatever he calls you to do. And the common thread in all of our work is faithfulness. It's faithfulness that, that together we would all close the gap between what we experience in here on Sundays And and how we live and engage out there in the world on Monday through Saturday. Now, how do we do that? What's that look like? We do that by doing good work for the glory of God and the common good of humanity. Doing good work to honor God in His name for the glory of God and the common good of humanity, of our brothers and sisters. As far as God is concerned in His kingdom and for His mission, we are all essential workers. Number two, the second way work has been uh, corrupted is work is no big deal. Now there are some people who, who, who believe and feel and see or, or maybe have been told a lie and adopted it as truth that, that their work doesn't matter, that it's not a big deal. And so re- as a result, they don't end up contributing. They, they fail to join God in his mission and, and they end up missing out on their calling, on their true calling. Okay, now I'm, I'm not just talking about laziness, okay, I think the Bible speaks to that, and that there's, there's, there's a lot of truth and, and wisdom in that, that, that we are to work and work hard, and there's fruit in that, and, and that honors God, okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking it another level. What I'm talking about is a fundamental misunderstanding of who you are and what you were created for. It goes deeper than just being lazy, I'm talking about we were made in God's image and created to contribute, to take part in his ongoing story of redemption and restoration in the world. And so, by definition, your work matters. Your work matters. No matter where you are, what you're doing, your work, your contribution to what God has called you to do for the common good of humanity, it matters. It's essential. Which brings me to the third way, work has been corrupted. Now some people see work as too big a deal. They're like, hold on, Pastor, you just said work is not a big deal. And then you said, some people see it as not a big deal. Then you said, but it is a big deal. Now you're saying, don't make it too big a deal. Let me explain. Your work matters in the context of your relationship with God as an image bearer okay? And when it's inspired by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, your work absolutely matters. And that is a big deal, okay? But outside of that context, work can easily become an idol. Work can easily become something that it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. And all of a sudden, we hold it up above our families, above God, above. Like, it becomes a priority that's bigger than God ever designed it to, to be, Okay, and that's where we get workaholism. That's, that's, that's when, when uh, you start focusing so much on, 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 on yourself and your work and what can you accomplish that materialism takes hold. Okay, that's, that's when sometimes your vocation becomes your identity. All of a sudden, you start defining yourself by the work that you do, by how you earn a living. And that's never how God intended it. And, and, and I'll tell you, that last one right there, that's where I lived most of my life. That's, 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 that's um, how my understanding of work has been distorted for much of my life. I started working pretty much as, as soon as I could. Uh, and the day I turned 15, man, I went out and got a job. I, I broke my dad's heart. I quit the baseball team. I hate, he, he wanted me to play baseball. I hated baseball. I played it for him. OK? But as soon as I turned 15, I was like, Dad, I'm sorry. I quit the baseball team. I'm going to get a job. I need money. I got to work. He's like, oh, well, what if I give you an allowance? I'm like, "Nah, that ain't going to cut it, man. <laughs> sorry, Dad. Baseball is gone. <laughs> but, but even before that, man, I was 15. Before that, man, when I was in third grade, was, that was my first official job when I was 15, Scoop ice cream. When I was in third grade, man, I had a, I had a little hustle going on. I had my, like, I don't know if you all know they I think they still do this in public school. We used to have there was free lunch, reduced lunch, and full lunch, right? And so reduced lunch, our free lunch was obviously free, reduced lunch was 75 cents. Full lunch was $1.25. So I would I got free lunch, right? And so I would come in and get my free lunch ticket in the morning. I go find my friend who got had to pay full lunch, $1.25, and I'd sell him my free lunch ticket for 75 cents. And he got to pocket 75 and I got pocket 75 and it was great I mean, it was like three dollars and 75 cents a week I was making almost 30 years ago that was like a happy meal okay my parents were like we did you get this money I'm like don't worry about it <laughs> I'm good I'm good right and so um I'm just saying from from a very young age I realized and and for me earning money work was a way to independence it was a way for me to kind of separate myself. I grew up in a big family. Uh, I got four sisters and a brother. Both my parents work full time. They work hard. Um, they did great by us. And so please don't hear me com- complaining or, or disrespecting them at all, OK? We had everything we needed, everything we needed, and a whole lot of love. We really got what we wanted, though, OK? And for me, especially as I got older, when I would ask for stuff and know that I was, um, I did everything I could to, to, for them to say yes, and the only answer was no, because we can't afford it. I just, after a while, I got sick of hearing that. And I was like, I'm gonna take this in my own hands. That's not gonna be the reason I miss out. I can't go to the movies with my friends, or I can't, you know, whatever, um, go here or do that. And so, man, I just, I started working hard. I started making my own money. And from that moment on, I started to kinda just take care of myself and do things on, on my own. Um, again, I just didn't wanna depend on my parents anymore as much as I love them. And that led me to a lot of, some good pride, like, pride, you know, there, there's, there's some good, healthy pride in, in, in a, having a, a strong work ethic and, and learning how to work hard and being a part of a team, and, and that's good for your self-esteem and your confidence and things like that. And so in so many ways, that helped me. I remember one time uh, when I was a kid, my dad, actually many times, he used to say this all the time, but, but uh, whether it was cleaning my room or uh, it was my turn to do the dishes or just sweeping the floor in the kitchen or whatever, like, if I just did a rush job or did it too fast or just trying to get it done and it wasn't to his expectations or, good enough, he would say, hey, come here. Look at that room, man. You, you okay with that? You, you, you think that looks all right? You're all right walking away? And of course, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, sure, that's why I left. I'm like, yeah, I think it's great. He's like, no, 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 no. That work has your name on it. That has your name on it. That's a representation of you. When you walk away from that, you're saying, hey, this is what I'm about right? This is, and, and man, I took that to heart and that, that, that I brought that with me into most of my life. And, and quite frankly, it served me well in pretty much every job I've ever had. It helped me to, to, to thrive in the workplace and, and, and um, you know, do well and rise up and, 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 and all that stuff, okay? And so in a lot of ways, it was positive, but it also helped to contribute. It wasn't the only thing, but, it, but just this idea, my, my outlook, my view on work itself kind of sent me down a path of working for myself, and what I mean by that is not self-employed, okay? I'm saying working for my self-esteem, working for my self-confidence, working for my self-worth, working for just myself in general. It became about me and what I can do and what I could accomplish. And that's a, that's a whole different outlook than what God intended. That's almost like the complete opposite than what Paul calls us to do in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. My perspective was that's got my name on it. God says, No, no, it's got my name on it. So. Fast forward, you know, did a bunch of jobs. I don't have time that you guys would be surprised by how many. I was counting, I'm like, man, I can't even go through all these. It'll take too much time. But lots and lots of different jobs and uh, lots of fun stuff and learned a lot. And, and, but fast forward to like my mid-20s, I am now, I've graduated college. I did a year, uh, I graduated political science. I did a year working at the Massachusetts State House in downtown Boston and, uh, and I worked as like a Senate page. I was a gopher like in the Senate president's office, basically. And I hated it. I was like, this isn't for me. And I worked construction my whole life growing up in, in high school. So I was like, I'm going back to construction. I started bartending nights. And I'm working construction full time during the days. Uh, and, and so making pretty good money, working my butt off. Um, at this point, I thought I had everything I wanted. I got an apartment with my cousin, who was like my best friend in the city. We're living it up. you know. If I'm not uh, working, then I'm, then I'm partying. I got kind of money to burn in my mind, in my stupid young mind then. Uh, and and, and uh, from the outside, everything seemed great. It seemed awesome, right? But, but, but again, I'm getting a little older and, and internally things are starting to change for me. And, uh, and I just felt this lack of direction and purpose in my life. I felt like I, just, I was created for something more, like I needed something else. I wanted stability, I wanted security, but I also wanted to do something that mattered. I wanted to be a part of something that, that, that was bigger than me. I wanted to be of service to others. Like, I'm just sitting out making a list of all the things. Man, what do I want my life to be? Because this isn't it. What can I do? And, 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 and I landed on, uh, uh, you know, even going back to a kid, I, I kind of had this dream, and, and I kind of got, I, I came back to it. I wanted to be a firefighter. And I was like, man, I, I knew some guys in my town who were on the fire department, and man, they worked too, uh, first of all, there's something about, you know, People who were going into a place and everyone else is going out, like there's the honor and the. And I was like, man, and the brotherhood they had, and man, like again, it it scratched all the itches. Being of service, being a part of something bigger than myself, and uh, you know, like I said, I I had, uh, I knew some some people who were on the fire department in my town. They worked two 24-hour shifts a week, and so they all had like separate like side jobs as well and good benefits and all that stuff. And it was like, man, this is it. This could set me up for what I want—a future and a family. I had been dating my my future wife uh, at the time, Misty, for. For a couple years, and we were talking about uh, you know, settling down and getting serious. And so it's like, I need to get my life together. This is it. I, I have my sights trained on becoming a firefighter. And, uh, and uh, I think it's probably true most places you go, but at least where I grew up in Boston, it's really hard to get on the fire department. You pretty much got to know someone who, who uh, like you're, you're, it's, they call them legacies, like your dad or your grandfather and your uncle were like You get preference. Um, or uh, if, you, if you served in the military, you get, you get preference as well. And so the way they do it is every year they would hire a couple of people, um, and, and, and they, they compile a list based on your test scores and all this stuff, and they just hire off of that list every every year, every couple years. So, so it turns out they're going to hire, I got word, they're going to hire six guys. I'm like, man, I got a shot. I can do this, man. I'm like, this is a year and a half out. I start training. I start studying. Like, I'm, I'm running. I'm lifting weights. I, I got all the old firefighter exams, and I'm studying them. I'm cramming. Like, I'm taking the SATs. Test day comes, I knock the written test out of the park. I mean, aced it. OK, physical exam comes, you got like the 60-pound backpack and these hoses, and you're running upstairs, and you got to run around the building, There's just all this crazy stuff. Oh, I did pretty good on that. Not as well on the written, but I did it good enough on that. Right? I'm like, I think I'm in good shape. And I'm just waiting for results, two weeks, three weeks. Finally, the list comes out. I go online, check it out, number three. I'm number three on the list. I did it. I'm going to get hired. They're hiring six guys. I'm going to be on. Right? And and then uh, I didn't. What I didn't realize was that was the preliminary list. And so, about a week later, the official list comes out, and they hadn't put all the 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 military preference and the legacies on. I went from three to 13, and I'm like, man, just crushed. Now, please don't hear me complain. Like, you serve in the armed forces and protect our country. That's the benefit you deserve. Okay, I'm just saying. In the moment, I was crushed. I was crushed, man, because this was the first time for me in my life that I set my sights on something, that I worked as hard as I possibly could, that I did everything the right way, and it didn't work out for me. It didn't work out. And I just didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do. I was lost. I was lost, man. Not only did I not know what to do with it, but I didn't know who I was anymore. And I just, honestly, I was, I, I, it was the first time I ever, in my life I ever felt depressed. I just kind of sunk into this depression and just didn't know where to go or what to do. And, um, Man, it was a dark season for me. And what I didn't realize at the time, mostly because I didn't know Jesus then, is that for the majority of my life, from the, from the moment that I, I got my first job right up until uh, the, the day that I fully um, put my trust in Jesus and decided to live for him when I was about 30 years old, I had been working that whole time to obtain my significance. In other words, I saw work as the the way, the only way I can prove myself, that I can prove my value, my worth, not just as an employee, but as a son, as a man, as a, as a future husband to both myself and to the world around me. And it was in that season when I was at my lowest point, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially even, it was in that moment that Jesus met me right where I was at. I just, I started going to church with my wife and I've told this story before. You may have heard it, maybe you haven't, but, but uh, you know, she kind of gave me an ultimatum and said, look, yeah, I want to marry you. I want to be with you, but, but I can't be with a man who doesn't know Jesus. She was raised in the church. I wasn't. Um, you know, we, that didn't go well initially, but eventually I, I thought on it and God kind of brought me back to her and was like, hey, you know what? If she's, I know she loves me and she's willing to walk away from me for this Jesus. Maybe he's worth checking out. Start going to church. Um, you know, I always tell people, I felt better walking out than I did walking in, and that was enough to keep me going back. Two, three months in, and finally I give, I give my life to Jesus, and almost immediately after that, uh, my wife gets a call, uh, an opportunity to move to Kentucky, which is where her parents live, for a job. And it was a really good job. She'd be making a whole lot more money than she was in Boston, and the cost of living was way less. And so it's like, hey, you know what? Um, I say my wife. She, was, she wasn't my wife at the time, but, but um, she's like, hey, what do you think, you know? And I'm like, hey, I got nothing going on <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm not really in a position to say no, other than I thought I'd never leave Boston in my life, but Kentucky sounds crazy to me, but let's go. right? And I got up, I moved to Kentucky. Y'all. I told you I was depressed, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. I love Kentucky. I love it. I was a joke. Man. Whew. Hope it lands better in second service. OK. <laughs> so uh, I went to move to Kentucky. No job. No, no, no friends, no connections. I don't know anyone there. My wife, or, or, uh, my my uh, Misty at the time, has a job. I decided, okay, she goes ahead of me. About two months ahead of me, I stayed in Boston to wrap some things up and finish up work. And I took every bartending shift I could between in that two months to save up every dollar I could, and I bought a ring. And so I showed up in Kentucky with the ring, proposed to her. I can't believe she said yes, but she did. And I'm serious. I, I say I can't believe that. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because in that moment, like, um, I just didn't feel like I had much to offer her at the time. In my own mind, by the world standards, like, I got nothing to give you except literally this ring because I spent every dollar I had on it, you know? And, 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 and of course, she, she did. She, she said yes by the, the grace of God. And, and um, man, the reality is in that moment, I felt like I didn't have anything to offer Jesus either. Like, why would he, <laughs> I got nothing for you, man. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a failure. And it, again, it was in that moment when he grabbed hold of me, right? I had been going to church, but I wasn't like, it was, that's when I, I fully surrendered because when I finally was raw and real enough with him to say, I got nothing for you, he was like, finally, <laughs> finally you realize that. Finally, you've been trying to, you know, puff yourself up and earn it and be who, whoever you're trying to, I don't want any of that. I know you don't have anything to give me. I got everything to give you. And now you're finally ready to go to work. Now you're ready to go to work. And it was in that season, man, that's when he grabbed hold of my heart and I decided to surrender my life completely and put my trust in him. And what I learned as a result of that process is that my significance comes from my father in heaven. My worth, my value, my significance comes from from God, my creator, who created me in his image and created me with good works in mind. So my identity is in him. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What this means is that God the Father in Christ Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit has given me a a new identity. He's made me a new man. He's created me. I'm I'm, I'm brand new. And now he calls me son. Now I am a a, a disciple, a spirit-led follower of Jesus Christ. I've been made new by the power of the gospel. Because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, now I have nothing left to prove. Nothing at all. And I'm free. Now I'm free to go to work from my significance, not for my significance. Please, do not mistake your vocation for your identity. Don't Don't place your job or whatever it is, the work that you do, above or before your identity in Christ Jesus. Your vocation may be doctor, nurse, teacher, administrator, delivery driver, whatever it is, but your identity is beloved son, is beloved daughter. Come on, it's it's, it's disciple of the one true God who created you in his image and has called you to join him in his work of restoring this broken world. Make no mistake, God is restoring all things in our work. Your work, specifically, is an essential part of that. You you have been created and redeemed with work in mind, which means you have a specific contribution to make in God's good but badly broken and needy world. So your work matters. It really matters. And the reason work takes up so much of our life, again, 90,000 hours, right, is because God designed human beings to spend most of their time serving one another and making the world a better place. That's, that's, that's what it is. That's why Jesus, that's what he meant when he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. How do we love God and love our neighbor? How, we do best, we do both of those things best primarily through, through what we're called to do with most of our time, work. Work is the perfect opportunity to fulfill that commandment. To love God and love your neighbor well. We were made in the image of God, created to contribute, and your work is your particular contribution to God's good world and the common good of humanity. And so work is good, and you were created with work in mind. And even though work has been distorted, your work still matters. Because Jesus is the great redeemer And not only does he save us, but he redeems us for good works. Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, Colossians 3, verse 17, this is kind of the key verse for this whole series, but whatever you do, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to end with a, a, just a brief story. There's a guy uh, by the name of Jonathan Charks. Jonathan Charks, he's, uh, you probably never heard of him, but he's my favorite NBA writer, okay? One of my favorite, favorite writers uh, about basketball, um, and, and, and he writes for uh, theringer.com, um, which is a, 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 a pop culture and sports kind of website. But um, he, uh, he actually passed away. I should say he wrote, he passed away a couple months ago, 35 years old, he uh, he. he Kind of lost a long battle with with cancer okay and I say he 's one of my favorite writers because he uh, he had a way of taking um like a, a big concept, a high level type of thing, and just making it super clear and concise. What the average writer would take, maybe 10 paragraphs to write, he would write it in 10 sentences. And I just appreciated that. And it was always like, boom, like, and, and, and just, but it was like this great point. It was profound, but it was simple, you know? And so he was one of my, my again, one of my favorite MBA writers. The other thing I loved about him was that he was, he was openly a Christian. In a, in a field, in an area where not many people—if they are—they don't kind of profess it. And so I listened. You know, he was—I uh, listened to a bunch of podcasts that he was on, and even in his writing, he would drop like I'd be reading an NBA article, and there'd be like a verse from the Bible in there. So just like you know, he didn't—he didn't care, and I love that about him. Um, and, and so uh, again, he passed a couple months ago, and and a lot of the podcasts I listened to, mainly um, the biggest one is the, the Bill Simmons podcast, who he's uh, probably has millions and millions of, of listeners, like three times a week, and. And he, was, he owns the ringer, so he's kind of his boss. And, and uh, I was reading all these articles, everyone's doing tributes to Jonathan after he passed. And everything I read and everything I heard, every person to a man that had anything to say about him could not talk about him without mentioning his faith. And, and Bill Simmons, again, who's one of the, the most well known sports personalities out there in our world right now, he, he said, Man, I have to say, you know, <laughs> I. I he made me a better podcaster because John was a guy who always took the high road. And in this business, there's so many people who it's so easy to get pulled down in the mud and to start talking bad about people and to start dogging players and not, not playing well or to try to go for the headline and get more clicks and more sales. And, and he's like, man, and I'm, I, I, I've fallen into that. But John made me better. He made me want to rise up there with him. He always took the high road. And he said, I think it had to be because of his faith. And again, everything I read, everyone's like, man, his faith. There's another guy who said, man, he he had grown up in the church and kind of went away and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And he said, John would talk to me about God all the time, almost to the point where it bothered me. And I would get like frustrated with him. Like, all right, man, I get it. I don't want to hear it. And he's like, it was almost like uncomfortable, except I was never offended because I knew how much he loved me. So he had a relationship with these people who worked with him, who loved him, that when he passed, not one person can talk about him without talking about what a faithful follower of Jesus he was. And, 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 and it manifested in and through him in so many different ways that everyone he worked with knew about it and loved him for it, even if they didn't love Jesus. And I'm just saying, man, what if that was our story? Right, from Genesis to Revelation, The biblical story of work tells us that our work matters, that it is necessary, and that it's essential to both reflecting the image of God and accomplishing his mission to redeem and restore our broken world. What if that was our story, Relentless Church? It is, that's the story we're a part of. The gospel changes everything. How you see your work, how you do your work, the power to do your work, and who you do your work for. So let's go to work church. Let's go to work empowered by the gospel and with the help of the Holy Spirit himself. And let's go out this week and do good work well in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I don't. There <laughs> There is so much to thank you for in this life, in this world, me personally, and as I look out in this crowd and see the the stories and, 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 and what you're doing just in and through Relentless Church and in our community, and, and as I zoom out and just think about the world, and it can be so easy to get caught up in the darkness and the fallen nature and and, and the things that are hard and stressful and frustrating, God, but thank you that, 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 that um, Lord, we have a promise in your name and your son, Jesus. Thank you that that's never had what it was intended to be and that's not what it's going to be, and thank you for the opportunity that right now in the in-between. We're on your team and you put us to work. God, thank you for that opportunity. I pray you would empower us. God, fill us with your spirit. God, let us, God, marinate and and trust in our standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that would embolden us, God, to go out there and be who, who you called us to be, wherever you have us. Whatever our work is, God, that we would do it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. It's in his name. Amen.